Today's episode is in support of World Bicycle Relief. Not sponsored by, but in support of World Bicycle Relief. More on what that means in a moment. The deal with this is that in developing regions of the world, millions of people walk for miles each day just to survive. Distance is a barrier to attending school, receiving healthcare, delivering goods to market. World Bicycle Relief delivers specially designed, locally assembled, rugged bicycles for people in need. And what they're doing in rural developing regions is truly transformative. If you think that this might be an organization you want to support with a donation, we will match your donation dollar for dollar up to a thousand dollars. Skin in the game, baby. Making it real, keeping it real. World Bicycle Relief. There is a link in the show notes to our unique stimulus World Bicycle Relief donation page for you to check out and make the magic happen. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Orman, and you are listening to Stimulus, a podcast that deconstructs ideas and strategies to live and work with intent. Don't just suck it up. Think differently. Here we go. All right, let's get into this. On our last episode, we touched on some strategies on how to not take things personally. It was a very small part of the discussion. And this one is going to be a deep dive completely into that very topic. And one thing that struck me in the last stimulus or conversation with Jim Adams that I've started using, found it really powerful, is when Jim Adams said, one of the secrets to success, one of the secrets to happiness, frankly, is taking into consideration that when you're feeling wrong and just like, why are they doing that? That other person, you know what? They are probably not against you. They are just for themselves. I mean, that's just a magic jewel right there. Realizing that even though you feel like it's about you, it's not actually about you. And much more on that in today's episode with our guest, Frederick Imbo. That is probably not a name that most of you recognize, but you very well may have seen his TED Talk on, aptly titled, How to Not Take Things Personally. Now, who is Frederick Imbo? If you take a snapshot of who he is today, he is the head of Imburling, a company based on improving communication on the micro and macro level. He started out with formal theater training at the Royal Conservancy in Ghent. He was a prolific TV actor, and then he began acting in training videos for interpersonal communication. So he's thinking, wow, these are, these are really cool insights. And the insights he was gaining there really resonated with him and then set him on a path of many years of study and training in neuro-linguistic programming. And over time, this became his life focus, shifting from acting to his company, Imborling, Strengthening Communication. And in this conversation, we cover a lot of stuff. We talk about how he prepares for a talk, especially in one that's not in his native language. We get a lot into how to not take things personally. A bit on the use of intentional posture changes to change your internal state, managing your internal dialogue. And we start out our conversation with a phrase that I had never heard before, but I saw he had given a talk to a corporation just before we recorded this podcast, and that is sustainable happiness. 
Here we go. Before we get into how to not take things personally, I'm so curious about sustainable happiness. What is the barrier to sustainable happiness? And then what's the technique to overcome that? Okay. Every form of stress, every form of unhappiness is caused by yourself saying no to the reality. And there are two manners to say no to the reality. You want something that is not there. I want that vaccine. I want a better weather. I want a better salary. I want another president. I don't want Trump. I want uh, people treat me in another way. So I want something that is not there or the opposite. Something is there, but I don't want it. I refuse to take this. No, I don't want your criticism. I don't want your stress. I don't want your blaming. But if you resist and if you say no, you are in a kind of, you create stress for yourself because you resist and you refuse to accept the reality as the reality is at that moment. So if you turn it upside down and you say, yes, okay, yes, this happens. It means then that first of all, you accept the reality as the reality is. Okay, you got a bad remark from someone. Yeah, okay. He gave me a bad remark. Was not nice, but okay, he gave me the bad remark. Instead of, no, he should not have given. He does not have the authority. He has not the right. Okay, he had the right because he just did it. <laughs> so first, yes, is I accept what I cannot change. Second, yes, I change what I can change. The way of thinking, hmm, I can choose that. If you blame me, Frederick, your English is crap. And I feel like, no, you cannot say it. And I feel like, okay, he can say that. Well, do I agree? Do I not agree? But I can think the way I think. I change the way I think. If I think he doesn't have the right to, to, to think this, well, of course, you have the right to think this, to think this, and I should not believe it necessarily. Or maybe, okay, yeah, it touches something, roll nerve in me. He has rights. And three, I use my mind to distinguish between what I cannot change and what I can change. So this is in... A nutshell of the strategy. I want to get back to something we were talking about before, and that is your public speaking, which is really, I mean, and as, as you were mentioning in non-COVID times, your full-time job, you're doing it all the time. You, you know, were an actor, a prolific actor. And I'm so curious as to your preparatory technique, because I, I noticed, you know, whether it's a, a, a YouTube video whether it's watching you as a, a young actor, an older actor, or your TED Talk, is the second you get out there, the second you start talking, you are, one, totally present and engaged. There's not, all right, I need to kind of get into this, and really genuine. Like you, I can see that you really feel what you're saying. What I do is, first of all, being really prepared. And what do I mean by that? Now I'm not prepared for this question. I shouldn't because this question is not too difficult and it's an interview and it's a talk, it's a conversation. So I should not be prepared. However, if you want me to give on this question a presentation, then of course I need to prepare that and I have to prepare, okay, I want to say this, I want to say this, I want, then I will make this metaphor, then I will make this slide. So I need to prepare myself content-wise like my ABCs. I must be able to say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and so on and so on. 
So I must know exactly what I'm talking about. The moment I come on stage, I should absolutely know, know even 1% of my energy should go to what I would have to say. I must just know it. So this means that if I come on stage, I just want one thing. I want to put my 100% energy on how my message will land in the audience's ear, in the listener's ear. And I want to know if they are ready or not. Okay. Hello, everyone. And I really wait. I wait for the, I just say, this is a, a technique I'm using and it's, it's absolute genuine. I say, hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Or I say, hello, how are you? And I really wait for a response. So if you do that, something magic happens. Because at the moment, you, from after five seconds, you install the programmation. Hey, guys, I'm not talking in one direction. This will be in both directions. And I want to know whether you are present or not. And from the moment, the audience, the listener feels, whoa, that speaker sees me. He takes me into account. That's the, the very moment that, that the connection and the magic just happens. And so this means that I really connect with them. And this is crucial for me. And it's not about faking. It's not about to, to be um, possibly uh, insultive. I don't know whether that is a word, but you understand what I'm saying. The American way to say, oh, hello, how are you? A coffee, please. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, why do you ask, how are you, if, you do not if you're not interested in, in a genuine answer? So, you feel the difference, Rob, if I say, Rob, hello, how are you? Nice to see you. Well, hello, how are you? Nice to see you. I, I, it is just text. It's not genuine. It must be genuine. So, if you ask a question, you must be genuinely interested in the answer. Or at least I must feel that I want to get something back from the audience or the listener. Are you waiting for a verbal response from the audience or, you, or, or, is, it, or is it more just the, the feel energy, of the room? More energy. Yeah. And I pick, I just pick. And I also teach people this and it, it sounds pushy or wrong, but I don't mean it wrong. I want them. I want the audience to feel, okay, the guy is interested in us. And secondly, I also want to feel, I want them to feel after one minute, max two minutes, gosh. This guy isn't a normal guy. We should pay attention because he's really ready. He's really here and he will put his teeth in, 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 in us and he will wait for us. He really wants, I never get no response. Never, ever. If I do coaching sessions for people to speak in front of groups, I literally let them test with an audience who doesn't reply. And it's impossible for an audience not to reply. There are so many techniques for that. You can call their name. You can just look at them with the intense look of, Rob, you're smiling. <laughs> yeah. Are you happy? Yeah. That was really interesting. I really talked to you and it's impossible for the other one not to respond. That takes us to your TED Talk, which has you know, millions and millions of views on how to not take things personally. And it's funny, after I saw it, we were talking about this before, I, se I sent it to friends like, yep, saw it, yep, saw it. Oh, my boss sent it to me, my supervisor really? sent it to me. <laughs> and, you know, some people, when they get sent that thing, wait, are they criticizing me because they think I take everything personally? Which we can get into. I want to dissect that talk because 
learning how to not take things personally seems like a superpower. And in the beginning of the talk, you say that you recently decided to become a football referee or a soccer referee for the express purpose of strengthening the muscle, I guess the expression would go, of not taking things personally. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, and, and thank you, first of all, for your very clear words. And what you say is exactly the truth. I really uh, decisively chose to be a referee because I wanted to train that muscle of not taking things personally. Because, you know, Rob, I really struggled with this. As a keynote speaker, as a trainer, suddenly I saw someone ah, looking at his phone while I was giving an explanation, <laughs> and bam, it happened. I just took it personally. And I thought, come on, be respectful. Are my uh, words not interesting enough? So, of course, as a communication trainer, I helped other people to not take things personally, and I explained them why if you do take something personally, it is because you think that the other one must fulfill your needs. Well, actually, no. I must fulfill my own needs. If I need respect and the other one is not respectful, well, I can shift my attention to someone else. Oh, yeah, he or she is giving me the respect I'm looking for. Because I knew this, I thought, how can I train the idea of it's not about me, it's about what the other person does. He's just criticizing because he thinks, okay, he has the right to criticize me or he just looks on his smartphone because he thinks, wow, it's not interesting here. I just look on my smartphone. And I said, okay, because I struggle so much from this in my private and professional life. <sighs> how can I train my brain? And I thought, well, I was never good in any sport. The only thing I can do is run. And suddenly I had an idea of, oh, Eureka, I know it. I love soccer and I love the game and I love running and I hate running on my own. So if I run without knowing that I'm running, then maybe I can be <laughs> a soccer referee. And at the same time, it's a wonderful idea because I will train to not take things personally because spectators hardly ever shout encouraging things. What they do shout <laughs> is, is, you're a bastard, you're a loser, you're a zero. And I wanted very consciously to train the brain, train the method. Okay, they will throw things to my head. I will take it personally. Hmm, and how can I stop doing this? Can I again think, okay, if they scream something at me, it tells about their unfulfilled need of wanting to be right and to win, to have a decision that is in their favor instead of their disadvantage? And the answer is yes, it works. But not always. Sometimes it works. Sometimes I can feel, okay, don't take it personally. They're just mad because I didn't take the decision in their favor. So sometimes it works, but not always. Sometimes you're not certain and think that some, something kind of happened there and you know, maybe they're right. You know, it's just... Maybe I am a bastard. Well, not a bastard, but maybe I am wrong. The word would be incompetent that you're getting, but wrong. Yes, they're, they're wrong. So, I mean, that is personal because you're wrong. You're wrong. You affected their team. So how do you process that in the moment? Well, I'm very happy that you picked this up because I said it works sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes exactly it doesn't work. Because sometimes they scream things at me, and even when I focus on their intentions and their needs, it still hurts. 
So this means if it hurts, Rob, it means that they are right. And it means that I have a problem with accepting the fact that I am wrong. That I might be like they scream, loser. Maybe I am a loser because maybe I did not take the right decision. And a voice in me knows it. And a voice in me says, yeah, I hate it when they're criticizing me, but uh, maybe they are right. And actually, there is my ego in the game. My ego does not want to be criticized. My ego does, want, does not want to make faults. My ego just wants to be acknowledged. So the only way to overcome this moment is to say, listen, it hurts when people scream things at me. They might be right, and maybe I'm not such a good referee or not such a good speaker or not such a good father or not such a good friend. And it touches me when someone criticizes me. And you know what? It hurts because maybe I need to find a way to accept me more. In 90% of the cases, it's about acceptance. In 10%, it's about values that uh, are not being respected by the other person. But in 90% of the cases, it's just about, darn, they might be right. And I have difficulty in accepting that specific part of myself. Let me, let me explain this. If you are raised by a father and mother who are always criticizing you because you were not having the grades at school that they expected and they criticize you even when you do it good and they criticize you rob no nine out of ten you should have had a 10 on 10 so if you're programmed that apparently it's never good enough and you were, were never acknowledged you were never recognized for your efforts to really do your very best no, they only commented you on all the things that you did badly. Well, it's normal that every form of criticism will hurt for the rest of your life. And the only way to overcome this at that moment is to say, <sighs> okay, right, this is again a moment that reminds me of my childhood, where again I was criticized in not being good enough, I got never the acknowledgement I wanted. So this is a raw nerve that is being hit. And the only thing I must do then is saying, yeah, it hurts. And now I choose wisely to give myself empathy, to tell myself, yeah, it's okay. You can be hurt. And it's okay that it doesn't, um, that my needs are not acknowledged or not being met. And I will mourn. I give myself the time to mourn uh, about this unpleasant moment. And if you give yourself time at the moment, or maybe just after, because when you're at the middle of the pitch, you believe me, you don't give yourself sympathy. You just try to survive. But afterwards, come to yourself and tell yourself, I'm struggling with this part of myself. And it's not even important to know where it originated or what happened exactly. The only thing you need to do is to give yourself some self-acceptance intention and to tell yourself it's okay you know it's okay that i'm not always okay i do not have to be 100 perfect i'm not and let me maybe for the first time in my life accept myself and not being perfect that is a real I, I wouldn't even say a hurdle to jump over i'd say that's a mountain to get over that because our natural predilection is to really embrace that negative self-talk 
And like that, it seems like the natural state. And then the, you know, the positive self-talk, like, okay, I accept that. I acknowledge that I have self-compassion. That's really hard. So you say, okay, I acknowledge that I feel this way and I want to have self-compassion. But then there's like a deeper, deeper voice of, yeah, you kind of just do suck. How do you overcome that? To recognize this, to recognize the two voices, to recognize a voice that needs self-acceptance and who really needs to, to get some empathy, to say, okay, I know, I see, I see that you're there. I see that you're seeking for recognition and you want to be accepted here. Oh yeah, there is another voice, a deeper, deeper voice. Oh yeah, yeah, he's criticizing me. Okay, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, that's my mixture of ego or maybe my self-image and even recognize it as something that try to put me in jeopardy again, but you were aware of it. You can choose, wisely choose whether you will listen to it or not. Just knowing that you have an option. It's like reading a book. You're completely sucked in the book. But at the moment, the bell rings, suddenly you're out of the book. And you're aware of the fact that, hmm, I can open the door or I can read further. But at the moment that the bell rings, you know consciously that you have a choice. What will I do? I do not necessarily have to open the door. I can also choose to read further. But I can no longer pretend that I'm still in the book because I'm no longer there. So the moment you get aware of the fact, okay, this is a negative, deeper, 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 deeper voice. I don't know where it comes from, but it's there. And it tries to suck me again in that swamp of criticism about uh, getting myself down, breaking myself into pieces. Okay, tell yourself, okay, I know this voice. This is the voice of my youth. This is the voice of my inner critic, uh, um, criticaster. It's, it's the one who wants to not me being happy. Okay, I see you. I know you're there. I know that you want to break me, but I will not listen to you. And you know what? We have... 50,000 thoughts a day, 50,000 thoughts a day. I have no idea how they measure that, but <laughs> someone took bars. Guess, guess, Rob, how many of them are positive thoughts? The minority, for sure. Only 10,000 thoughts are positive thoughts. So this means that 80% of our thinking are negative thoughts. And this is nature. million years ago, as a species to survive, we needed to be on our guard. We, we, we had not the comfort to say, hey, hmm, how do I feel today? Am I accepting myself? Am I true to my nature? Am I embracing myself? No, we, were, we, we had to survive. So the thoughts were programmed to be, okay, is there no one who tries to hunt us, who wants to steal our possessions, or who wants to kill me? We had to be on our guard for negativity. We were problem-oriented. Now, society has evolved, but it's just like our brain didn't evolve or didn't evolve fast enough with the society. We are still negative-oriented. It's important to recognize this system and to say, okay, I'm again thinking in a negative manner. And secondly, I was maybe raised up like this or I have always treated me like that. And okay, now I can wisely choose. Because the moment I'm aware of the fact that I'm putting myself down, I'm dragging myself down, 
The moment I'm aware of that, I can literally say, now I will produce sounds, thoughts that will help me. I, I appreciate who I am. I'm a good guy. I'm an honest guy. I really want the best for everyone. I value truth. All these thoughts that you literally choose, literally choose at that moment, are for 100% certain not dragging you down. So even after maybe five minutes, you're again dragged down by the negative thoughts. That's okay. But at the moment that you're aware of it, you can literally choose. And for example, people telling me when I coach them, yeah, but that's difficult. I say, okay, you exactly did it the same as you did previously. You dragged yourself down again. By telling that something is difficult will not make it easy. Just telling yourself this is difficult is again a negative programmation. Rephrase it into, okay, I really would like to learn this. I really want to challenge myself. I decide here to not take this personally. I am okay. I will survive this. That's okay. I'm a strong man. I can do this. I'm okay. Are choosing for positive mindset and will have an immediate impact on your emotions. It makes me think of this, this thing I started doing within the past year. You kind of kind of framed it, made it make sense of when I was feeling put upon or irritated or just lethargic that I had to go do something that I had to do, that I had, like, I have to do this. And then my shoulders would slump and I'd be like, oh, I have to do this. And then if I told myself, and I, I had to fake it at first. I said, I get to, I get to do this. And as soon as I went from have to to get to, I could feel my internal posture change. When you say like that difficult thing, like I get to. Actually, I can feel it right now. I can feel the, a neural hormonal shift just by saying that in our conversation. I'm not even doing anything. Can I do an experiment with you? Absolutely. Could you close your arms, please? Uh, how do you say it in English? Cross your arms. Can you frown? Frown, hard. It's like someone farted as hard as you can. Okay, now you make your hands to fists, like fists. And now you really try to feel happy and grateful. Is it possible? I can feel a spark of it, but I can't get there. Exactly, because if your body does things like this, it's normal that you can't feel happy. So let's do the opposite. Just do what I do, please. I'll have pictures of what we're doing on the show notes. But at this point, Frederick is given this big hammy smile and double thumbs up, super exaggerated, happy posture. And now really try to feel insecure. <laughs> it's impossible. So if your thoughts, changing your thoughts is maybe too difficult, there is another strategy Fake it, as you, as you told it. Okay, gen, uh, being uh, genuine and authenticity is really key for me. But as a way to go to authenticity, I like some techniques. And for example, when I teach people to speak in front of groups, they feel very insecure. And I teach them, okay, why don't you stand in a posture like this with your hands like this? Just stand like this. It shows that you are in charge. Even when you're dying on the inside, like, oh, I don't want to be here. Pretend that you really love to be here. And instead of when you have eye contact with someone to immediately look away, if someone looks at you, look back and nod. Even when you're dying on the inside, 
you know what happens? First of all, the impact on the audience is like, oh God, he, he knows very good what he's doing. And secondly, for yourself, you get some auto feedback and your mood is changing because you behave in a, in a self-confident way. And the effect is that your body or your mind cannot recognize the difference between what is fantasy and what is real. So if your body does what it does, the mind thinks, okay, apparently we feel self-confident and the minds and the feelings are following in this manner. I want to talk about two things from your talk that this part of the conversation is, is making me think of. For, the first is the orange and the second is the coin. <laughs> okay, so the orange and the coin. I still think about those. So I want to talk about the orange first. Why is what that person said stinging me, even though I just said to them, that's totally untrue, but why is that hurting me? And you had this, this demonstration. They said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say two things to you. I'm going to say, you are an orange. You are an orange. Well, you don't say it quite so intensely, but you are, how do you feel? How do you feel? And he said, well, you probably feel nothing because no part of you believes that you are an orange. But then someone says, you are so selfish. Now, how do you feel? Well, it stings a little bit because there's probably some truth in it. It's personal, even though you think I'm not selfish. Well, oh, but why am I sweating and why are my fists clenched? We kind of talked about this about acknowledging it, but you know, you have that denial, but then there's probably some truth in it. So, I mean, what is the skillful internal dialogue here? I mean, how do you and how do you handle it externally when somebody brings that to you? If it hurts, it means in some somehow it resonates with something in yourself it it's not like okay if someone tells you you're selfish and you you think hmm, however i'm not selfish but however it hurts it does not mean that you are however selfish now it can also mean at that moment that maybe you don't like to be criticized again so you're not in peace with the fact that some people are criticizing you. And chances are big that you, in your, in your past, in your childhood, most assumable uh, people were always criticizing you. And again, you feel like this is not justice. I, I want justice. I want to see, <laughs> please see me who I am. Even when they give an example that is totally absurd or not true, there is something. And you need to discover what it is. Is it the fact, again, that people are not treating you in a respectful manner? Is it because there's some truth in it? Is it because you were always told to be uh, uh, helpful to other people instead of being selfish? And you don't, you don't like that. But be sure there is some truth in it. So it might be even the case, Rob, that some people feel attacked when you say you are an orange. Maybe they were always, people were, were always uh, laughing at them and making fun of them. Oh, you with your ginger hair or you with your big head. And maybe the comparison of, oh, you with your big head, you seem like an orange, might hurt. So for me, it would not hurt if someone calls me an orange because I know nothing of the, of the truth in it. But there can, in every tiny little remark, there can always be somewhere something hitting a raw nerve. So how to deal with it? Just being aware again. Okay, this is a sensitive spot. And this is my problem. And the other one is just lucky or I'm in a bad luck that someone is telling me something that hurts for me. And there is an enormous freedom at the moment you're aware of that. Instead of fighting against that person because he cannot do what he or she did, 
instead of doing this and focusing on that, focusing on yourself and telling, this is not nice. Let me give you a very concrete example. In, in my uh, college time at school, they always called me with my family name. Imbo, do this. Imbo, sit still. So for me, my family name, Imbo, is attached, is linked with a negative connotation, a negative emotion. So even when I'm at a Congress and people announce me and they forget to mention my first name, ladies and gentlemen, Imbo, I really feel it immediately. And instead of feeling resistance, I feel now, okay, it's just still a raw uh, piece of me. And okay, they don't know it. I know I don't need to blame it uh, them or I don't need to reproach, reproach them anything. They are just not aware of the fact that I have that sensibility. But at the same time, every time that people feel offended and have the courage to say, no, 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 I feel offended and you must take into account my needs and we do so, which, is, which could be an empathetical reaction, somehow there is a danger in doing this because every time we take into account the other person's sensitiveness and we don't tell the other person, okay, but are you aware that that sensitivity is also your thing? It's your business. I can just say something that touches you, but pay attention that you also do the work for yourself. Because if we always take into account the sensitive parts of the other person, the sensible parts of the other person, we are not helping them to be getting more confident and more accepting themselves. And the opposite. We program them to think, okay, I can tell that this is a sensitive part of myself and everyone should take into, uh, and should take into account of me this sensible, this sensitive part. Like, for example, let me give a very personal example. I'm gay. Good. If people scream at me on the street, hey, you, faggot, you gay. Of course, I think people should not do that. But if I do not learn myself to think if it hurts, that is something about me that needs to be acknowledged and I only will change the other one in calling me faggot or gay, then I will never help myself. It will be always a wound. So I need to... I restore myself instead of wanting the other person always to take me into account. So learning how not to take things personally is in first place a gift to yourself and the second place a gift to society because you are no longer dependent on how people treat you. I want to get into the coin. When I saw the coin, I was like, oh my gosh, that explains so much of my career. <laughs> where, where, you know, especially in medicine, where you get so invested in your knowledge of things and that becomes intertwined in your identity. And we study so much and we stay up to date and we understand the medical literature and we understand the nuance of the medical literature and we debate that. It's like, okay, here's how I manage this, this person and that person in this situation. And then someone comes along and they say, no, you're wrong. And you think, no, I'm right. And, and you kind of, no, I'm right. In fact, I'm always right. And so, especially very early on in my career, I sort of, I wore righteous rightness like a shield where I know what I'm doing inside. I was sort of, they're going to discover my sham, but I knew what I was doing. And then if I was confronted, it was like to 
male peacocks with their feathers out and it was just a big strutting contest and then you put up this slide of this coin one side was happy one side was right and he said you can be happy or you can be right well some people say well i want to be happy because i'm right <laughs> but that doesn't always work how do you work this what what is the underlying principle here of this coin of this coin with happy and right on either side I want to be right, and especially I always want to be right, is again the language of a piece we all have in ourselves called, Rob, the... Ego. Ego. The ego does not want to be criticized. The ego wants to be right. And even if the ego is wrong, then the ego does not want others to know it. No, because the ego is afraid. The ego is a part of in us that actually is very, very, very afraid about everything. So the ego needs the external recognition. The ego wants to be seen, to be heard, to be taken into account, and thus wants to be right. But can you imagine how much energy this costs of us? It drains our energy because it's so... Oh, making you tired. It's so tiring. you always wanting to be right. If you, what if we do no longer need to be right and can say, oh, yeah? Oh, so this word, you don't write it with two L's, just with one L. Okay, right. I was wrong. I, I thought it was with two L's. Okay, sorry. I, uh, I was wrong. And what if your self-image is no longer dependent on wanting to be right. And you can just, you can just say, okay, here sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. And you will find out that that's okay. People are not perfect. People make mistakes all the, day, all the time. So there it comes to being more happy. Because if I feel that I no longer need that acknowledgement and that recognition from other people, because I can give it myself, I can give my self-worth and self-compassion to myself, then I will be, as a consequence, I will be happy and no longer wanting to be right. I want to take that into a couple of scenarios that many listeners will find, will find that they have been in. And let's say you are a doctor or a clinician and you call a specialist to help you with a case. And they say, hey, did you get this particular test? Mm -hmm. And you say, no, I didn't, but you know, I, I, didn't think that they needed it because the diagnosis is pretty clear. The specialist then over the phone or, or maybe in person starts to criticize you for not doing your due diligence, for not doing a complete workup, for maybe not knowing what you're doing in evaluating the patient. And let's take this down a couple different paths. Number one is that this is a test that will not help a bit. The evidence has proven it for years, but this particular specialist just likes to have it. And because you're not giving it to them, they are really laying into you. You're on the other end of that line receiving this, being like, oh my God, what a jerk. I mean, there's also they're kind of exposing your imposter syndrome. We're thinking, oh man, they're figuring me out that I don't really know what to do. So how, how would that skillfully play in your mind in that situation? 
in that situation, for me, or to me, it's really clear that this, and that's the reason you call him a jerk, you are first of all feeling attacked. And yes. secondly, yeah. he or she provoked that because he is in his ego. If you really know this test is not important, it's not needed, and you feel that the other one is really playing with his ego now, wow, and I really think you should do the test, then I think what the other one wants is to be understood. And very please try the, in your reaction, not let the other one not lose his face. Tell the other one, okay, so I hear really it's important for you, but you're a bit reluctant to my answer that the test is not really needed. And you, were, you, you really want me to do the test. And could you tell me why is it so important? So I would call this technique to give empathy. What is empathy? It's nothing more than to say to the other person, not, yeah, 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 I understand you because this is for me, McDo uh, um, empathy from McDonald's. <laughs> no, I don't talk about fast food uh, empathy. I talk here about genuine empathy. And to prove that you understand him, you must say or, or let him hear that you understand him by repeating his feelings or repeating his needs. Are you kind of annoyed or irritated or concerned? You really want me to detest and take my responsibility? You want that I acknowledge your expertise and you, want, you, you, you really believe that the test would be useful in this case? I believe, I strongly believe, Rob, that if you give the other one empathy, that chances are that his ego will melt down and he will less defend himself and he will maybe come to the insights of, okay, well, now I feel hurt like the other one is listening to my arguments. Now I also I feel like the increased desire to listen to the arguments of the other person. So in this scenario, I would consider, first of all, don't take it personally. Secondly, try to empathize with the other person, to question him, to say, hey, I hear that it's so important. I have another point of view, though, but could you explain me why it is so important? And just not rationally say, no, I have my expertise. We, did, we don't uh, agree, and I will not do the test. No, I will not do the test, because then you will provoke his ego to a clash with your ego. You were just describing probably 50,000 interactions that are occurring in hospitals today, <laughs> like this exact thing. Ego. And as, as I hear that, and I, th I think about conversations I've had like this, oftentimes the answer is, you know, they're projecting their ego, then you project your ego, and those two exactly. bulls collide. Exactly. And you say, no, they don't need it. So the response is... You know, like, okay, a, a, a lactic acid, that would be a test common, commonly that's like, well, do they really need it or not? They say, well, did you get this test? Did you get the lactic acid? It's like, well, no, I didn't. Well, why didn't you? And I'd say, well, I, I didn't think they needed it, but tell me what you're looking for in it so I can understand where you're coming from. So then they explain, and then, and then you're on the same team, right? Then you, you're seeking to understand them. Just that little thing. Well, tell me what you're looking for there. I, lo I love that. I wouldn't say, in Belgium, do they talk about the Jedi mind trick? No. So it's in Star Wars and it's essentially... Oh, yeah, the, the Jedi mind trick. Yeah, yeah, now I understand what you're saying. The Jedi mind trick, when we say it that way, makes it sound manipulative, but this yeah. is more co-optive. You're trying to both get into the same space with this. I'm not against the word manipulation. I have a problem with manipulation if the intention is to manipulate the other one. And manipulating, I mean then to let them do what you want him to do. And afterwards, he will discover that he actually did not want to do it. But if manipulation is with the intention 
to try to get him constructively with you on board and it comes genuinely out of your heart and not out of your ego, then I think we can use communication techniques. But don't use them if you really want to get power over the other person and you do it to, to let your ego win, then don't do it. In medicine, you get scores of patient satisfaction. And we just get so irritated by these things because they're problematic in so many ways that you know the only people that are going to fill them out are people who are really satisfied or really irritated. And you know, in an emergency department or hospital or healthcare setting, you're going to have both just by how it goes. And when the review is bad, you actually get the written reviews. You get a, you get a sheet that has them all written. You get a, a score. It's like, well, here's what this person says. When the reviews are bad, you know, your gut reaction at first, it can be a couple things. You think, oh, maybe they're right. Or you think, oh, screw you. Screw, I mean, you know what? You, you were irritating from the beginning and I know who's writing this. But, you know, when we're talking about not taking things personally, this is the definition of a personal review of you. And now it's being connected to reimbursement to your salary or you know keeping your job. I mean, there's so much, there's so much weight to it. So you get these reviews, and, and this isn't from your boss. This isn't someone who you can interact with in the moment. This is just faceless and a, like a Yelp review or something like that. How do you process that? I really hope, first of all, if it happens within an organization that the organization who rolls out those kind of reviews is aware of the system that only the very happy or the very irritated people fill those in. And the system is mature enough to know that if you got some negative reviews, and most of them are very positive, to see that chances are big that or these were unhappy people who are projecting their unhappiness on your service and just trying to find a scapegoat. But imagine even worse that you are in an, working in a hospital where management is very ego-driven and they don't want to take into account the fact that maybe it was a stupid patient. No, 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 no. They just want to have good scores and they say, hey, did you see that negative review on you? And you feel like, no, I really did my best. Again, even when it's a very personal attack against you, very personal, in person, even then, why should you take it personally? You know who you are yourself. You know it. And you know that the other person did it to project his anger on you. You could just say, okay, from my point of view, I think it was an unlucky moment where someone was in a bad mood and he tried to react this off on me. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. And I hope that you see that it was not my fault. And I can imagine that you're a bit disappointed because of the bad review. Now, maybe our, our publicity or our marketing strategy is uh, on a lower pitch. But okay, just to say what you feel. You can always speak up and, and tell, like, this is for me not very correct. I want, I feel kind of humiliated and I, I, I take it personally. But actually, I decide not to do it because I think, I really genuinely think that I delivered a good service. And I really hope that you see it. And even then, when the other person says, no, I believe the patient and I don't believe you. Well, that's the moment. 
maybe the biggest exercise in life to say, okay, okay, I just accept that sometimes people do not see the truth. I accept that. There are people in prison who did not commit a crime. They learn every day, hopefully, not to take this personally. So even when you are in a cell, like Nelson Mandela, he was in a cell and he was captured for crimes that he'd never committed. And he said, okay, you can do whatever you want with me. You can put me in jail, but you cannot take away my thoughts. And my thoughts are, I choose to respect myself and to see the positive inside of me. And okay, I'm in bad luck. I'm in prison and I'm in prison for years and years. Comparing to that, I think we still have a lot of freedom, even when we got a bad review to say, maybe I will not get a promotion or a salary increase. Life sucks sometimes. And I totally accept that sometimes there is no justice. I respect and I accept that. We're going to change from Nelson Mandela to something a little bit more mundane, <laughs> a little bit more mundane. Let's say uh, on a very you know, micro personal level, your best friend doesn't remember your birthday and you love birthdays. You love birthdays and you know, you love getting the calls and you're, and it's like, well, no call, no card, no call, no card. They usually post on the Instagram every year, happy birthday, this and that. And it's like, well, nothing, nothing, nothing for poor little me. Okay. Tell him, Hey, uh, Rob, last week there was my birthday. Did you know? No, you didn't. Okay. Well, to be honest, I really expected to, to get a phone call a text, a text from you. I felt bad actually, and I took it personally. I really hope that as a friend, you remember my birthday. And I really wanted to have that moment where I could be valued in our friendship. I really hoped from a signal from your side. Rob, whatever you feel, even talking about your expectations, if you genuinely talk about what you feel and not about what the other person did wrong. No, no, I talk about what I feel and what is, it, what is my need. Then I'm, I'm creating an increase for connection. I'm increasing the, the possible connection that can be restored. Why do we take it personally? Again, because we think the other one is responsible for meeting our needs. No, he's not. He's not. Even when he's your partner, even when he's your father, he's not responsible for meeting your needs. Why? Because you're an adult. You can take responsibility for your needs yourself. Of course, it's nicer when someone wishes you a happy birthday, and especially because they know my birthday is important for me. Again, here, that's the ego talking. Instead of saying, okay, it's not because I find it really important that the rest of the world can mind read or they can never make a mistake. Okay, it hurts because apparently I'm very sensitive for people forgetting my birthday. Does it make me think about events in my... Yeah, it makes me think of, oh, now I know it. Yeah, I had a birthday in my class and my best friend at the time, yeah, I was in love with her or him and she forgot my birthday. Yeah, that's a moment I remember again. That, so thus I'm now projecting this on my best friend who forgot again my, best, uh, my birthday. If you come up and speak very, very openly, very vulnerably about what is inside of you, I really believe that chances are big that the other one will understand and say, really, I did not know it was so important for you. So please, what can I do to, to make it good again? Reminds me of something I heard years ago. I, I can't even remember who said it. And it was about gift giving. It was that you give a gift 
And then you see what happens the other side and you have this expectation that the person's going to just be rainbows and unicorns. And, you know, sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. Exactly. And some, sometimes they're exactly. quizzical. And it's just like, wait, what? What is this? Or, oh, I already have one. Or, oh, this isn't what I wanted. Or, oh, it's the best thing ever. And it was that your intent when you give the gift and your essentially your journey when you give the gift ends the moment that you give that gift. And what happens afterwards is not part of you at all. Wonderful. That made every Christmas and Hanukkah so great with our kids because of this, we're done. We're done the moment you get it. It comes here to consciously choose your expectations or not. To consciously tell yourself, if I will do this, if I will give this present, if I will offer this help or I will give this compliment, do I do it because I want something in return? Please don't do it. If your desire is to get something in return, question yourself whether you are willing to take the risk of not getting this expectation met. And I can really feel it, how much joy it, it, it gives me if I just give out of the joy of giving and now and not out of the expectation to get something in return. It even happens sometimes that I suddenly get something back. I was absolutely not expecting it. It feels like, oh, you see, how nice is it if I did not expect to get something in return? Because it feels like, okay, it was totally uh, fine if I got something back or not. If I give something, I'm doing it in the first place for myself because I want to fulfill my needs, my needs to contribute to the joy of other people. And I do this because I want to meet the need of myself. So this also means that I'm, I'm fulfilled. I do not need something extra from the other person. If someone says, oh, thank you, great. If he, if he or she doesn't do that, great also, because I don't expect it. In one of our presentations, we have the quote, if the sun were to say, what's in it for me, it would be often dark. <laughs> the sun comes up because she wants to give warmth and light to the rest of the whole world. And she does not want anything back. Well, I think we should be more kind like of the sun, not expecting anything back. Well, as we close up. If people want to learn more, people want to engage you maybe to speak with their hospital or their group or their, or their company, how can they get a hold of you? Where can they find your stuff? We are available on imborling.be, I-M-B-O-O-R-L-I-N-G.be. But if we can deliver some help, please contact us. But as you could hear, my English is absolutely not perfect. And maybe there are native speakers in the U.S., with, with the same uh, rucksack of, of tips and, and insights about face-to-face -face communication. And I really believe that the more we talk with one another, and whether it is with us that you would like to work or with someone else, if it helps you to go one step further in your own personal development, go for it. I really personally don't care who calls us because I really believe in giving and just being happy by able to give. So there will always be enough for everyone. Let me finish up with this question. And this, this is coming completely spontaneously. There's no, no time to prepare this, but I'm curious if you could have a bumper sticker that you could put on the back of everyone's car and it would just say one thing that everybody would see every day. 
what would it be? It would be, I love myself, and I really hope that you love yourself as well. Frederick, fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And that is it for today. For complete and detailed show notes of this or any other episode, just go to our website, stimuluspodcast.com. There, you can also sign up for our newsletter. And that newsletter, it's an occasional thing. I'm not going to spam your emails. You know what? Something's important. Then we'll send it out. If you're new to the show and not yet a subscriber, although the new term for that is follower, following the show, since it's not a paid subscription, you can do it in Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. And if it happens to be iTunes, throw down a review and a rating. I read all the reviews and more importantly, so do potential guests. Thanks in advance. Until the next time, my friends, be well and keep on rocking.